Welcome to Queer Devotions. I'm Bridget Pulifry. Today is a bit of a different episode. I am producing the audio version of the report, Mapping the Landscape of Faith-Based Heterosexism and Transphobia in Canada, which I wrote as part of a research initiative this winter and spring um, that attempts to compile and look at the landscape of where faith-based discrimination on the basis of gender or sexual minority status continues to operate. We also have quite a few different materials to sort of break down this report, including some infographics that are going out on our Facebook page. And this is one way also of making it a bit differently accessible. Without further ado, here is the report. First, we will start with the land acknowledgement. This report speaks to the land on Turtle Island that is now referred to as Canada, a name likely derived from the Huron-Iroquois word Kanata. We at Rainbow Faith and Freedom acknowledge the land on which we operate and the ongoing struggle for Indigenous sovereignty. Tikaranto, under Treaty 13, is the traditional territory of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and the Mississaugas of the Credit River. In a spirit of reconciliation, RFF prioritizes and honors the long history of Indigenous sexuality and gender expression, which colonizing religious institutions continue to suppress. Executive Summary Canada houses some of the most progressive and expansive 2SLGBTQ protections in the world, and it is widely considered to be one of the safest places to express sexual or gender diversity. In fact, Canada has some of the lowest levels of homonegativity comparative to other countries. Since 1995, Canadians could seek legal recourse for discrimination on the basis of their sexual orientation through the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Yet, the lived experiences of 2SLGBTQ Canadians, especially those who are racialized and live at the intersection of multiple marginalized identities, show that legal protections do not always mean equality in practice. 2SLGBTQ Canadians, for example, are more likely to be victims of sexual assault, to experience poor mental health and higher degrees of loneliness and social isolation, to suffer from substance use disorders, and to be economically marginalized. Rainbow Faith and Freedom, a Canadian-based nonprofit, aims to tackle one of the deep-seated justifications for institutionalized heterosexism and transphobia in Canada, that which is rooted in religion. Religiosity continues to be one of the strongest determinants of a person's view of homosexuality. And while a largely secular society, Canada's institutions are built on a foundation of Christian norms of heteronormativity and transphobia. These sectors include the family, worship communities, healthcare, and education. This report addresses these most critical areas of where faith-based discrimination continues to be prominent and relies on existing scholarly research from the last 15 years. RFF has not yet done any original quantitative or qualitative work. Above all, this report draws attention to the absence of coordinated efforts to address the religious basis on which many 2SLGBTQ rights are opposed. There is limited publicly available data on how inclusive or exclusive Canadian institutions are. Healthcare providers, worship spaces, and school systems in Canada either have a limited or non-existent platform which rates or identifies their 2SLGBTQ plus non-discrimination policies. These kinds of publicly navigable sites or databases are important and help 2SLGBTQ plus people maneuver systems that were often designed to exclude them. The human rights campaign in the United States, for example, has established indexes of municipalities, healthcare systems, and corporations. 
Metrics to determine the relative degree of safety or harm are crucial for understanding the problem and providing actionable resources for communities. The role of religion in enforcing heteronormativity and the gender binary cannot be separated from histories of colonization, misogyny, and white supremacy in Canada. Colonizers relied on the restrictive definitions of gender and sexuality to impose rule over Indigenous peoples, with a target on the crucial role women and two-spirit persons played in many of these societies. With this history at the forefront, Confronting heterosexism and transphobia perpetuated by religion must take a decolonizing approach. This approach requires centering the experiences of the Two-Spirit community members and recognizing the difference in experiences between settler LGBTQ communities and Two-Spirit and queer Indigenous communities. Decolonization, as scholars Eve Tuck and Kay Wayne Yang point out, is not a metaphor but a practice of unsettling colonizer-colonized hierarchies Nonprofits and others seeking to advance to SLGBTQ plus inclusion, including RFF, must provide support to Indigenous-led organizations, including social and financial support, rather than seeking to do the work themselves. Decolonization also requires examination of the desire to educate others, even in the interest of fighting homophobia, as education can be rooted in white saviorism and paternalism. These underpinnings must be rooted out of the nonprofit sector. While research shows that faith-based to SLGBTQ plus discrimination is far-reaching and embedded within many social institutions, there is no holistic study that investigates either the qualitative or quantitative evidence of how faith-based discrimination on the basis of sexual minority status operates today. As a part of the launch of this report, RFF is issuing a community survey and asking to SLGBTQ plus people across the country to participate in sharing their direct experiences from the last five years with a variety of institutions to build out a fuller picture and animate RFF's mandates. The work required to combat faith-based heterosexism and transphobia in Canada is immense. It requires that the more privileged people who undertake this work to collaborate with and defer to the most marginalized, in particular racialized and indigenous communities. Further, this work has great potential for solidarities with other social justice movements, in particular with anti-racism, sex positivity, disability rights, and fat liberation movements. This report is by no means exhaustive and should be seen as an entry point to the various forces of faith-based discrimination. The author invites feedback and recognizes that there's always more to learn and more ways to grapple with these questions. A note on language. The terminology used to refer to the population of people who are marginalized for their gender expression or sexuality has changed over time. The acronym 2SLGBTQ+, refers to people who identify as two-spirit, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, or queer, and the plus sign recognizes the identities or experiences unaccounted for in the acronym. As two-spirited, poet and activist Nicole Tongue describes in our podcast series, Queer Devotions, the title of Two-Spirit must be at the front of the acronym as Indigenous people were here first and are often the most marginalized from conversations on queer identities in Canada. Over time, various terminologies have been reclaimed from their original derogatory context, most prominently the word queer. To us LGBTQ plus community members sometimes use queer to signify the entirety of identified communities, while others still find the term either derogatory or not expansive enough. It is the agency of an individual to determine the label or term with which they identify. And this report does not seek to limit autonomy from persons in the way it names communities. 
As a shorthand, this report uses the acronym 2SLGBTQ+, Gender and Sexual Minorities, and Gender and Sexual Diversity to refer to anyone who is marginalized for their sexual or gender expression in Canada, with recognition that names change over time, as do identifications. For a conversation about the limits on language and opportunities to expand them, Arthas has produced a podcast which addresses this called Decolonizing Gender with anthropologist Hazim Ismail. Further, there was no single to us LGBTQ plus community, which organizer Leslie Lee Cam speaks about on the podcast as well. With these conversations in mind, the support uses the term to us LGBTQ plus communities. Finally, the support uses the term racialized to describe people in communities who experience racism. Using the term racialized recognizes how race is a creation of white supremacist hierarchies, which structure economic, political, and social life. Race has no biological basis. Further, this report also uses the acronym BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C, to refer to Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, as well QPOC, Q-P-O-C, which stands for Queer People of Color. The terms that I speak of are bolded in the written version of the report and have additional definitions in the glossary. So context, what do we mean when we talk about faith-based, heterosexist, and transphobic discrimination? The influence of religious affiliation on beliefs about sexual diversity has been closely studied, often from two perspectives. The first is a moral or philosophical one, which identifies the teachings from holy texts, religious laws, and leaders that influence belief. While the second is a psychological perspective, which investigates the conditions that give rise to homophobic beliefs. Though there are well-documented insights into the influence of religious beliefs onto us LGBTQ issues, many continue to oversimplify or misrepresent these interactions. First, religions are often treated as monoliths without attention to the considerable disagreements within religions or the many perspectives on gender and sexual diversity they house. For example, Canadian Muslims are largely divided on this topic. In a 2016 Environics poll, 36% of the Muslim population thought homosexuality acceptable versus 33% who opposed it. There is no singular Muslim position, just as there is no one Christian position. Yet, media programs invite religious leaders to speak on behalf of an entire faith without offering opposing views. In seeking news-making coverage, to speak on behalf of an entire faith without offering opposing views. In seeking news-making coverage, the media often calls on right-wing religious leaders who are not reflective of denominational policies to generate controversy. Further, the perceived homonegativity in Muslim communities has been used to fuel racist paranoia about Muslims' inter integration into Canadian society. For example, the 2015 Zero Tolerance for Barbaric Cultural Practices Act directly shows how a professed concern for 2SLGBTQ plus and women's rights is used to justify xenophobic immigration law. With this in mind, this report does not seek to exaggerate or inflame the positions of religions on the 2S LGBTQ plus community. This report acknowledges the vast differences in belief and seeks to find nuance in the many manifestations of how religion justifies discrimination against gender and sexual minorities. Not only are religions simplified as being either anti or pro 2S LGBTQ plus rights, sexualities are often presented as if they are a biological fact and an ingrained source of conflict in society. Sexuality as we understand it today is an invented category and product of society, which has changed enormously throughout history. While human sexuality is diverse, the different meanings attached to behaviors is always contextual. The study of sexuality is a rich field, and it documents how radically different ancient, pre-colonial, and post-industrial societies conceptualize the sexual body. 
In the Christian context, it was not until the 18th century that the concept of two genders even emerged. In antiquity, the female body was seen as an inferior, failed version of the perfect male body. With only one gender, therefore, discourses of heterosexuality and homosexuality could not exist until the 19th century. Further, heterosexuality and homosexuality were terms first invented to describe sexual pathologies, far from the biological constants they are often seen as. Popular mainstream discourses, as exemplified in media coverage, often equate to its LGBTQ inclusion with modernity and equate those who oppose it with backwardness. This framing, however, obscures the long-standing pre-colonial history of gender and sexual diversity, particularly practiced in the global south and in indigenous societies. As many queer activists and scholars explain, there is nothing inherently modern with expressing sexual or gender difference. In fact, as scholars Manuela El Pic and Josie Tacuna write, queerness has long been the norm, not the exception among indigenous peoples. An abundance of scholarship identifies the rich histories of gender and sexual diversity across the world, including the two-spirit tradition in Canada. This term arose from a discussion at the 1990 Intertribal First Nations Native American Gay and Lesbian Gathering in Winnipeg, and is credited in part to activist Albert McCoy. The term two-spirit is translated from, as Courtney Dakin writes in the article Hearing Two Spirits, the Ojibwe, Nis, Menaduag, and different communities continue to use other terms. The identity of two-spirit recenters indigenous views of gender and sexual identity and fights against the widespread colonial conceptions of them in society. Heterosexism, homophobia, and transphobia is a distinctly westernizing colonial construction, and any consideration of the contemporary Canadian landscape must recognize this. Upon the earliest contact between colonizers and First Nations of Canada, colonizers targeted the gender fluidity they observed in indigenous peoples. In the 17th century, for example, Jesuits were appalled by the high regard in which gender-fluid and sexually diverse members of the community were held and saw it as a lack of godliness, quote-unquote. As more colonizers came to Canada, the focus on instilling Western ideologies of gender and sexuality on Indigenous peoples became enforced through religious institutions. These heteronormative ideologies include that heterosexuality is the default, that sex outside of marriage or reproduction is sinful, that gender is synonymous with the sex assigned at birth, that engaging in sexual acts with someone of the quote-unquote opposite gender is a sin. A major institutionalizer of the ideologies listed above were residential schools, which the Roman Catholic and Anglican churches primarily operated, along with the Canadian government. Beginning in the early 19th century and continuing until 1996, the residential school system violently removed 150,000 Indigenous children from their families and communities to be quote-unquote westernized and Christianized, according to the 2015 Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada's report. The impacts of the residential schools are long-reaching and brutal. There is still no confirmed number of children who died at the hands of the system and its enforcers. For the children who escaped these institutions, survivors felt acute cultural and spiritual alienation and experienced difficulty navigating adulthood, Indigenous life, and community as a whole, creating inexpressible intergenerational trauma. The residential school system, while massive in scale and impact, is only one piece of how settlers enforce heteronormativity on Indigenous peoples. As scholar Martin Cannon demonstrated, for example, the Indian Act made marriage the sole means of procuring Indian status and rights, thus coercing heterosexual monogamy. 
Discussions of ongoing religious-based discrimination of 2SLGBTQ plus people must be grounded in this history and in decolonization. While this report cannot provide a comprehensive history of what distinguishes the experience of two-spirit people from settler LGBTQ populations, it is important to state the distinction when summarizing how religious-based homophobia and transphobia impact these communities. Further, this report provides the broader background to demonstrate that the landscape of faith-based heterosexism and transphobia is rooted in a recent development in the scope of Canadian history and thus does not have to be a permanent feature. On this page, there is a text bubble that says, my existence is my resistance. And this is a quote from two-spirited elder Lila Pine and community activist Leslie Lee Cam in an interview they did for Queer Devotions, uh, reflecting on how the Jesuits enforce rule on the Mi'kmaq people and how those ideologies are still present today. So summary, beliefs within religions are not monolithic. Sexuality is a product of society and not a biological constant. Gender or sexual diversity is not a modern phenomena, and religious institutions in Canada have enforced colonization through homophobic and transphobic violence. Defining the scope of the problem and the report. While there is a higher degree of secularism in Canada compared to the United States and other countries, a Pew Research study found that in 2019, the majority of adult Canadians identify as religious, while only 3 in 10 identify as either unaffiliated, atheist, or agnostic. 55% identify as Christian, with 29% of whom identifying as Catholic, and 18% as Protestant. Not only are the majority of Canadians religious, a rising number of Canadians identify as non-Christian, identifying as Muslim, Hindu, Sikh, Jewish, or Buddhist, making up 8% of the population. According to an Angus Reid Institute study from 2018, new permanent residents are more and more likely to be religious and non-Christian. This report is focused on four categories to examine how religious-based discrimination happens within these sectors. Above all, religion is a form of meaning-making and goes beyond religious contexts. These contexts include families, schools, healthcare, and worship spaces. This report prioritized literature from 2005 to 2020. The purpose was to identify key themes in the publications to provide insight into this discrimination. It is hard to determine the exact size of 2SLGBTQ plus communities in Canada due to various limitations, including stigma and methodological barriers. More is known about coupled people than single people, and more about those who live in urban settings rather than rural ones. Estimating the number of trans people is in Canada is a challenge, as Statistics Canada has never, until this most recent census, including questions on gender identity, though the TransPulse project is currently building out a better picture of trans communities in Ontario. Thus, barriers to identify the size of the population make it more challenging to collect a full picture of the scale and nature of faith-based heterosexism and transphobia in Canada. That said, Statistics Canada in 2017 reported that 1.7% of Canadians between the ages of 18 and 59 are gay or lesbian, and an additional 1.3% are bisexual. While this report breaks up the ensuing sections by institution, the individual and institutional manifestations of faith-based discrimination are deeply intertwined. To acknowledge the various levels on which faith-based discrimination operates, this report uses the ecological social systems theory from the American psychologist Yuri Bronfenbrenner. This theory distinguishes society into microsystems, which would be the immediate environment of a school or home, mesosystems, this interaction between all these settings, and macrosystems, the overarching ideologies in a culture, as well as the exosystems, communities, school guards, or mass media. 
following Emil Durkheim, these various forces act as socializing agents and work together in the shaping of various individual and systemic discriminations. Part one, all in the family, religious-based exclusions within the home. This is a quote that begins the section, which a teenager recounted to researchers in a 2015 Newman et al. study. God does not like gays, which means my parents don't like me. A supportive family unit is a crucial source of an economic safety net and emotional well-being. Yet two SLGBTQ plus populations have traditionally been denied access to these familial supports because of heteronormative conceptions of the family. Previous to SLGBTQ plus movements have focused on addressing the various ways that access to state institutions of marriage or adoption were denied to gender or sexual minorities. This approach focused on external factors influencing, influencing the ability to create a non-heteronormative family. With many successes in enshrining more equal access to those state apparatuses, the most urgent issue of familial faith-based discrimination are the exclusions produced within intrafamily dynamics, also described as intimate discrimination by researchers. Among a wide set of negative outcomes, intrafamily religious-based discrimination has, in part, led to the disproportionate makeup of 2SLGBTQ plus youth in the houseless population and the emotional and financial challenges experienced by queer seniors. Internal dynamics are challenging to address as they are largely premised on belief systems and fall outside the mandate of legal protections, thus requiring the difficult work of shaping hearts and minds. Supportive family units are crucial for helping a young person transition into adulthood. A growing body of research indicates that familial support of sexual or gender diversity produces a wide set of positive outcomes, such as better identity development, fewer suicidal ideations, and less psychological stress. Support also builds resiliency, which enables youth to bounce back from challenges outside of the home. While supportive, while supportive family environments produce greater resiliency and better outcomes for 2SLGBTQ plus youth for the rest of their lives, research has also documented the inverse, that children of religiously affiliated parents who do not experience support for their gender or sexual diversity fare far worse. The outcomes of this dynamic range in severity Researchers have documented that the loss of family relationships led to feelings of alienation, which led to the wider disintegration of their social support networks. In a study investigating the social ecology of how sexual and gender minority youth experience bullying, researcher Peter A. Newman et al. found that much of their subjects' experience of homophobic violence came from the family. This violence took the form of verbal and physical abuse, rejection, ostracism, and exclusion. Parents may force their child to begin sexual orientation change efforts and demand they participate in religious or spiritual quote-unquote counseling, which this report will explore in greater detail in the healthcare section. Intolerant families often subject their children to abusive treatment, which can force youth to seek shelter elsewhere. In a shocking estimation that attests to the crisis and impacts of these intrafamily dynamics, sexual and gender diverse youth are overrepresented in the Canadian houseless population. Independent scientist Alex Abramovich estimates that 20 to 40 percent of the youth houseless population is 2SLGBTQ+. A majority of houseless youth cite familial rejection or abuse as the reason they leave home. Despite the prevalence of faith-based discrimination in the family, there are very few services, secular or religious, that offer counseling within families or specialized housing services for 2SLGBTQ plus youth when they are forced out of their homes. Sprott House in Toronto is one excellent model for the kind of services needed for queer and trans youth. These exclusions from the family have long-term emotional and financial consequences and shape how 2SLGBTQ plus populations age. 
Queer seniors, for example, are more isolated than their heterosexual counterparts. Several studies have found that 2SLGBTQ plus seniors are less likely to be in a spousal relationship, to be widowed, or to have children. In a 2015 Ottawa Senior Pride Network survey, 2SLGBTQ plus seniors were four times more likely to be without a partner as compared to other Ottawa seniors. In interviews, queer elders describe their experience of being rejected by family members, including parents, siblings, and their extended family, and losing support early in life. This is especially challenging in old age when one needs more external support to navigate health or financial challenges. This isolation is a gateway to further risks of depression, morbidity, and increased mortality, as well as heightened suicidal ideation, suicide attempts, and a higher rate of substance abuse than in the general population. These challenges are further enhanced by the widespread erasure of 2SLGBTQ plus seniors, as governments largely fail to acknowledge them as a particular minority community. In fact, it was only in 2020 that the term 2SLGBTQ plus seniors was first read into the records of the Ontario legislature. Despite the very dire outcomes for queer elders, there is very little research or data available on 2SLGBTQ plus aging and family structures. Even on the most basic level, there is very little information. No data exists on how many Canadians above the age of 65 identify as gender or sexual minorities, which presents a large challenge for researchers. Much of the data comes from qualitative inquiries and case studies. As with youth forced out of their homes due to religious beliefs regarding their sexuality or gender expression, the dynamic of the family is an underexplored field of study for seniors, and the need to support the work of queer seniors fighting for visibility and support has never been more important. Part two, behind closed doors, continued discrimination in worship places. The following quote comes from an adult cited in research by Begin et al. in their 2015 study exploring conflicts between sexuality and religion. Quote, I left my community that I grew up in. I left essentially my family. Religious organizations are often presented as the opposite of 2SLGBTQ plus communities, seen as contradictory by nature. Yet 2SLGBTQ plus people of faith want to see changes in their own religious communities and are the drivers of this change where it occurs. Queer Muslims, for example, have gone into found affirming mosques across Canada, such as the Unity Mosque, El Tawid Juma Islamic Center, co-funded by Imam El Farouk Kaki, Dr. Laurie Summers, and Larry Jackson in Toronto. Allies within religious institutions have also worked to affirm their gender and sexual minority congregants. Hundreds of rabbis signed onto a statement expressing that harassing gay or lesbians to be in violation of prohibitions in the Torah. Further, affirming religious spaces have been shown to build social and emotional resources for 2SLGBTQ plus people. Research has shown that when queer people can find an affirming congregation, their ability to build resilience grows. Public insight into the relative openness of worship communities due to us LGBTQ plus community members varies immensely. The most prominent faiths in Canada that provide accreditation or affirming processes are the Metropolitan Community Churches, Affirm United, Ischel Welcoming Schools, Generous Spaces, Salam Canada, the Unitarian Universalist Association of Canada. The United Church of Canada's Affirm United model is incredibly standardized and well-resourced and well-resourced, providing tangible steps to individuals and producing reports on the statuses of their progress annually. While some denominations have publicly available resources and processes by which faith spaces become affirming, many denominations do not have one set of coherent policies or universal applications of them. 
For example, there are no official church associations designed for Catholic or Anglican committees or Sikh communities, though there are some breakout organizations in support of queer rights. Further, Salam, the only visible national 2SLGBTQ plus Muslim organization in Canada, has a limited reach with only two chapters, one in Toronto and the other in Montreal. Pointing to the limited reach of these organizations is not meant to negate their importance. Rather, it serves to show how much variety there is and what is publicly known about individual congregations and how different resources are between them. The considerable disagreements within faith communities on the issue of homophobia and transphobia make it difficult to generalize how places of worship either welcome or exclude to its LGBTQ plus congregants. Further, faith organizations may have stated anti-discrimination policies, but behind closed doors operate with different rules. As these discrepancies are not widely reported or documented, it is hard to state how fastidiously policies are followed. This is further challenging as some gender and sexual minorities feel internalized shame in the religious communities and may not feel comfortable reporting any negative experiences associated with them. Before delving into the hidden script, i.e. what we can gather from qualitative studies about the continued impacts of 2SLGBTQ plus discrimination in faith communities, it is important to state the very okay, oh, it is important to discuss the very overt cases of publicized exclusions. In Canada, denominational policy across the country continues to openly discriminate against 2SLGBTQ plus community members. These policies include rules on who can be ordained, excluding gender and sexual minorities from the congregation, and refusing to provide same-sex gender blessings. The faith considered to, the faith considered to be an active opposition to SLGBTQ rights include Baptists, Pentecostals, Eastern Orthodox, Jehovah's Witnesses, Church of the Latter-day Saints, Saints, Roman Catholic Church the Roman Catholic Church, the largest Christian denomination in Canada. It must be said that within these denominations, it must be said that within these denominations, many of these groups have breakaway groups determined to fight their religious, their religion's opposition to 2SLGBTQ plus rights from within. In recent years, news stories have documented episodes such as pastors being dismissed for being trans, members asked not to disclose their transgender identity and or to leave their churches, evangelical groups using anti-queer propaganda and youth programming, fringe Christian groups marching into the Toronto Gay Village, large opposition from Christian groups at Canada's plan to ban conversion therapy, Canadian bishops rejecting government policy on funding for religious groups that are anti to lgbtq For example, Minister Junia Joplin was fired from her Mississauga Baptist Church in 2020 because she is trans. To get a better sense of what happens behind closed doors, we look to the many studies that examine how queer people of faith experience being cut off from their religions and or being targeted inside of them. These studies show just how traumatic this experience can be with long-lasting negative outcomes, especially related to psychological and mental health. For example, in 2015, researchers Gibbs et al. found that those who mature in a religious context are more likely to internalize homophobia, and the harms of being queer in religious spaces were extensive across all ages. They also found that participants often felt detached from their bodies and delayed sexual activity. Further, in a study looking at the Mormon context, adopted beliefs about seeing sexuality as sin led to heightened risk for self-harm, including suicidal thoughts and behaviors. Consistently across these studies, participants described the experience of being pushed out of faith communities were important roles within them as a profound loss, which led to greater feelings of hopelessness and loneliness. With this general sense of loss of community and support, many queer people of faith have also reported feeling disconnected from the relationship with God. 
These impacts vary based on the context and religion in which a person is ostracized. In Orthodox Jewish context, coming to terms with one's identity, as researchers Itzaki Atel found in 2015, quote, is much harder for Orthodox Jewish gay men because they are raised to remain separate from the secular world and therefore have more difficulty seeking out secular supports and resources. For LGBTQ Christians, a growing body of research has documented the often intense identity conflicts they experience, and far less research has been conducted with transgender Christians. Even less is known about the quantitative impacts on gender and sexually diverse Muslims. Mapping out the worship spaces where to us LGBTQ plus folks are accepted is a challenging process, which requires far more investigation and attention. From the qualitative studies examining the emotional impacts to media reports on exclusion within faith communities, these insights show that religious institutions continue to carry on many of the discriminatory practices thought to be long gone from a, quote, tolerant Canadian landscape. Part three, schooling, heterosexism, and transphobia. This is a quote from Jonas, a student interviewed in Tonya Callahan's book, Homophobia in the Hallways. Am I the only gay person here? By many accounts, 2SLGBTQ students are experiencing higher degrees of inclusion and affirmation in faith-based and secular schools than in decades past. GSAs across the country, so-called gender sex alliances or gay-straight alliances, have been growing in numbers after various provinces required publicly funded schools to allow them. Curriculum is becoming increasingly diverse across the country and includes more teachings about 2SLGBTQ communities and histories. Courts have ruled against educational institutions promoting anti-2SLGBTQ sentiment and policies, such as in the case of Trinity Western University in British Columbia. In one of the biggest news stories related to 2SLGBTQ students in schools and the influence of the religious right, the Conservative government in Ontario under Doug Ford reinstated its 2015 reversal of a more expansive and 2SLGBTQ positive physical health and sex education curriculum after intense public scrutiny. Though courts are increasingly erring on the side of 2SLGBTQ rights, students continue to be marginalized within faith-based and secular school settings. In 2011, the nonprofit EGAL released the report Every Class in Every School, in which they surveyed students on their experiences of homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia. EGAL found that almost two-thirds of LGBTQ students felt safe, felt unsafe in school. Further in later research, EGAL found that 90% of trans students reported hearing negative or demeaning comments daily or weekly in school. So why are these experiences still so widespread, despite decades of enshrined legal protections? Part of the answer is that these exclusions take many shapes. Most prominently, we can document them in the form of policies, practices, and stated values of educational institutions. But they also occur off script in implicit curriculums, which refers to how teachers censor content in the classroom, fail to promote positive views on 2SLGBTQ identities, or fail to intervene when bullying occurs. Teachers and other administrators are not the only enforcers of heterosexism and transphobia. Peer-to-peer victimization plays a crucial role. In fact, it is one of the strongest predictors for school disengagement for sexual and gender minorities. Religious-based school systems are the primary setting of faith-based discrimination and, and education, and one of the best studies, the Catholic school system particularly. As a publicly funded school system in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Ontario, Catholic schools have a constitutionally protected mandate to abide by Catholic doctrine, so long as they do not conflict with Canadian common law or the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. 
Despite these obligations, much research has documented the widespread discrimination against 2SLGBTQ plus people within Catholic schools. A study of sexual and gender minority youth at Catholic high schools and Christian colleges, for example, identified widespread fears of suspension, discrimination, and physical violence, with a, quote, disturbingly high percentage of males in Catholic schools voicing the belief that violence against queer persons was acceptable. Further, lesbian, trans, and gay teachers have been fired for their identities and framed as justified under the guise of their failure to follow denominational doctrine. Catholic school systems, identified in great detail in scholar Tanya Callahan's book, Homophobia in the Hallways, routinely house the implicit and explicit teachings of heteronormativity and internalized homophobia. Beyond religious-based school systems, research has shown the clear link between religion and the justifications for exclusions in secular settings, as well as a predictor for an action where bullying or other forms of discrimination occur. For example, one study conducted in Toronto schools identified a strong link between religion and, and interventions in bullying. Educators spoke about the role of religious parents in making them feel fearful of religious pushback when intervening. This fear was further compounded by the media's role in perpetuating the belief that, quote, parental and religious rights trump human rights education. Those students inevitably graduate or move on. Those students inevitably those students inevitably graduate or move on from a school system. Studies have shown that these experiences leave indelible scars. These include, quote, spirit-crushing experiences of isolation, abuse, and self-loathing that may require, quote, a lifelong experience of post-traumatic recovery. With little documented about how individual schools operate Catholic school boards violating constitutional mandates and religious-based discrimination remaining a large influence on secular schools, Educational settings are an important ground for advocacy work. Schools serve as important sites of, quote, becoming where students are trying out and realizing new selves, which often intersect with their sexual or gender identities. When students are prevented from exploring and realizing these identities, the harms are deeply damaging and long-lasting. Part four, towards true healing, religious bias in the healthcare system. Following is a quote from an elder in Kimberly Wilson's 2018 study, Staying Out of the Closet. Who's going to want to look after me and who's going to want to look after a gay woman, you know? An abundance of research has identified how minority statuses produce different physical and mental health outcomes compared to more privileged counterparts. These insights have led advocacy groups to develop a model of healthcare which views health inequalities and outcomes through the lens of a patient's various identities. In the case of 2SLGBTQ plus communities, researchers and policymakers have become increasingly focused on the relative disparities in access to healthcare and the heightened prevalence of physical or mental ailments. For example, gender and sexual minorities are more likely than heterosexual Canadians to face mental health challenges, including suicidality and substance abuse, which can be compounded by minority stress, the weathering produced by a lifetime of encountering this discrimination. A growing field has increasingly documented how these health outcomes for 2SLGBTQ plus communities are particularly pronounced when these persons occupy the most marginal positions in society, including, quote, newcomers, asylum seekers, refugees, substance users, sex workers, the racialized, disabled, living in poverty, prisoners, and the houseless, among others, end quote. For example, racialized trans and non-binary people in Canada were more, quote, likely to rate their health as poor and to report living with a disability and or chronic pain, end quote. 
A greater appreciation for the ways in which a person's identity affects their health has also accompanied a growing understanding of how health is a socially constructed category and used to further marginalize minorities. This has particular resonance for the 2SLGBTQ community as gender and sexual differences in the West were first treated in a medical context um, as diseases to be cured. It was not until 1973 that the American Psychiatric Association, APA, removed the disease of homosexuality from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM. Just as homosexuality was removed from the DSM, however, the category of gender identity disorders, GID, was soon added in 1980. Religious beliefs have often originated or promoted the wider understanding of sexual or gender minorities as ill or diseased. One immediate one immediate example of the way religious communities can use, quote, health as a means to advance to SLGBTQ plus discrimination is in the continued practice of sexual orientation and gender identity change efforts. Otherwise known as conversion therapy or reparative therapy, this is the process of using various means to, quote, cure, end quote, to, quote, cure someone of their queer identity and make them straight. It remains legal federally, though provinces have begun the process of imposing bans. Manitoba, Nova Scotia, Ontario, and the city of Vancouver have all instituted bans of varying criteria. Conversion therapy is widely discredited by healthcare providers and contributes to the mental health challenges experienced by 2SLGBTQ communities. These impacts include low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and death by suicide. This quote-unquote therapy is often carried out in uncredentialed religious settings, especially Christian ones. The now-shuttered Exodus International, which was generally seen as the religious arm of the conversion therapy movement, inspired programs in Canada, including Exodus Global Alliance, New Direction Ministries, and Living Waters Canada, now called Journey Canada. Generous Space Ministries, a Canadian nonprofit which has been fighting against conversion therapy after they left Exodus International, hypothesizes that due to lower levels of homonegativity in Canada, credentialed healthcare providers are more likely to discredit conversion therapy. And therefore, the majority of conversion therapy likely occurs within religious contexts. These quote unquote professionals present themselves as medical authorities, but the majority are not accountable to anyone. As a result, these providers, as Generous Space Ministries note, are quote, difficult to expose, difficult to prevent, and difficult to affect by legislation, end quote. A 2021 study found that 10% of sexual and gender minority men experienced conversion therapy, and that 67% occurred within religious or faith based settings. Much like in schools, Religious beliefs show up in secular healthcare settings. Mental and physical healthcare providers, for example, can bring their negative biases towards gender and sexual diversity into their work, which can worsen the quality of care patients receive. The vast majority of 2SLGBTQ plus people, up to 60%, do not talk to their healthcare provider about their sexual orientation. People who do not inform their doctor of their sexual orientation are also less likely to be tested for HIV based on their risk factors. Trans communities are particularly marginalized in the healthcare system. In the Canadian Trans Youth Health Survey, many trans youth describe missing needed physical healthcare, 33% of younger and 49% of older youth. And many more describe missing mental healthcare, 68% of younger youth. When trans youth had access to supportive family networks and can feel safe living in their identified gender, the significant health challenges they face were often counteracted. Canada has an aging population, which is an increasingly diverse one. The dimension of age in this discussion is a crucial one. 
older to us LGBTQ plus persons experience high degrees of marginalization when seeking healthcare. In one of the first studies of its kind in Canada, University of Guelph researchers identified several of the fears and anxieties gender and sexual minorities face when aging. They described concerns about having to go back into the closet and maintaining identity throughout aging and end of life. The healthcare system has ingrained heteronormative assumptions about the family unit and often fails to account for non-heteronormative support networks when interacting with patients. Studies show that gender and sexual minorities are more likely to prefer non-biological social support during end of life compared to their heterosexual counterparts. They may also prefer a close friend to have legal rights for end-of-life decisions rather than a family member. Part of these anxieties come from a concern about the religious affiliations of the healthcare system. One noted, frankly, in this study. Let's put it on the table right now. I'm very frustrated and angry about faith-based approaches to anything regarding our health. If you choose that and wish that, cool. I'm sure there's many places you can access, but to even consider it or think about being what I would call trapped or prisoned in a faith-based institution makes me nearly apoplectic. The study described how many of these older to us LGBTQ plus adults came of age when dominating faith of the time, in particular Catholic and Anglican churches, actively enforce anti to us LGBTQ plus agendas and now more closely associate religion with extreme discrimination. Faith-based discrimination towards 2SLGBTQ plus older adults living in long-term care, LTC homes, is a predominant issue that is largely underexamined. Existing literature identifies that 2SLGBTQ plus older adults are concerned that healthcare providers and administrators will overlook or disregard their unique needs as gender and sexual minorities. The Ontario Senior Pride Network, for example, submitted a detailed report to the Long-Term Care COVID-19 Commission in 2020, and again in 2021, identifying major discrepancies and urgent needs of the community. They identified that the religious affiliation of healthcare organizations contributed to the inequities within LTC homes for 2SLGBTQ plus residents and families. They wrote, Many 2SLGBTQ plus seniors in Ontario report having had personal experiences with religious-based discrimination and are less likely to have accepting blood relatives to support them in personal times of crisis and end-of-life situations. They advocated for inclusion and respect within faith-based care homes, including, quote, in spiritual and pastoral care, religious services, end-of-life rituals, funerals, and celebrations of life, end quote. Their submission points to the widespread invisibility of 2SLGBTQ plus seniors in long-term care homes, with staff and administrators not having training or awareness of their particular health or social needs. 2SLGBTQ plus seniors are also more likely to be institutionalized more quickly, which further adds to their isolation. These fears have been affirmed in many studies and affirm the extent to which religion, particularly Christian organization, causes ongoing harms for 2SLGBTQ plus people. Clearly, the ideologies of religious-based heterosexism and transphobia play a damaging role in the health of 2SLGBTQ plus people. Of course, these disparities are most prominent for those that are further marginalized to their economic status or racialization, for example. However, no kind of public database exists to give 2SLGBTQ plus folks a thorough look at individual providers or healthcare systems. Conclusions This report is merely a brief introduction to the wider landscape of faith-based heterosexism and transphobia in Canada. Unaccounted sectors in the support include charitable sectors, immigration, and carceral systems. 
The purpose of this was to synthesize information. The purpose of the synthesis was to identify through lines between the religious bias of discrimination in a country where media often inflames the positions of the religious right, or Canadian identity politics weaponizes the perceived homonegativity of racialized religion. There are inverse relationships this report has not considered, namely the inverse role of 2SLGBTQ community members exhibiting bias against religious expression, particularly in terms of Muslim communities and other groups who are racialized, and other groups who are racialized. Religious differences can often be used to enforce an us or them dichotomy with people in LGBTQ communities using this to establish themselves the Canadian body politic as opposed to racialized others. In four years, between 2013 and 2017, there was a 253% increase in hate crimes against Muslims in Canada. The role of white settler LGBTQ plus communities in perpetuating these harms is necessary to address in advocacy and community conversations. Two LGBTQ plus people can experience dual moments of dislocation from their spiritual identities when queer communities express suspicion or disdain for organized religion or spiritual practice. Research has shown there can be a secondary experience of, quote, closeting in 2SLGBTQ plus circles, wherein they feel compelled to hide, suppress, or silence their spiritual selves. Conversations going forward with 2SLGBT, within 2SLGBTQ community spaces must consider how they can meet the gender and sexual minorities of faith as their whole selves without attaching shame or guilt to spirituality. In attempting to map the landscape of Canadian faith-based heterosexism and transphobia, we see the limitations of what people can access to make informed choices about their schools, their healthcare providers, their worship spaces. All the more apparent is the incredible absence of spaces aimed at combating religious-based anti-2SLGBTQ+, discrimination, and secular contexts, as many organizations presume that they are free of these ideologies. Many sectors we see how religious beliefs show up and affect the quality of care, the educational experience, and access to community support networks. The colonial project of religious westernization continues in many aspects of Canadian society. Naming these issues is a first start. In collaboration with anti-racist, sex-positive, disability, and fat liberation movements, any time we discuss the limitations and how we determine the value of a body in relationship to its place in society must work together intersectionally. Freeing our conception of sexual exploration will support the freeing of heterosexual and cisgender people as well. And lifting of shame and guilt is a mutually restitutive process. While the research available shows that faith-based to LGBTQ plus discrimination is far reaching and embedded within many social institutions, there is no holistic research or study that investigates either the qualitative or quantitative evidence of how this plays out today. As a part of the launch of this report, RFF is issuing a community survey and asking to its LGBTQ plus people across Canada to participate in sharing their experiences from the last five years. The work continues. This has been an audio version of Mapping the Landscape of Faith-Based Heterosexism and Transphobia in Canada, read by the author, Bridget Palufry. This is such a brief start into this work, and I really welcome any feedback or notes or comments. You can share them with my email, bpalufry at rainbowfaithandfreedom.org. That is B-P-A-W-L-A-W hyphen F-R-Y at rainbowfaithandfreedom.org. Thank you so much for listening. We've got many more materials to support this work, including infographics and a handbook coming out. And stay tuned on your social media feeds for this information. Thank you for listening and have a good rest of your day.